Well, praise the Lord. Well, you pray for our young people. I think about Brother Alex that was just here and a number of these other young people. Just, uh, boy, I tell you what, some of the obstacles they face in life, and we certainly want them to overcome and be victorious. You be praying for our young people. And uh, we have a lot of uh, good young people. But again, like we said this morning, good and godly are two different things, and we want them to understand and recognize the need for godliness in their life. Boy, what we need to do as an example is be that godly man or woman so that they can see that it's worth living that way. But again, we're just doing our best and we want to see them uh, succeed in their lives. And again, we appreciate you young people. Keep up the good work. Um, All right, let's go ahead and um, turn, if you would, to, let me find it here. I've got, like I said, I got, oh, 1 Timothy 4. I've got like 13 pages of notes. We've already gotten through some of those already on this particular one. Again, we've been dealing with um, being consistent, and that's what we started with before we had the break. And again, that was a couple weeks back now. That would be quite a while ago. And so we want to pick up where we left off. In order to do that, I want to just uh, kind of uh, bring you up to speed with what was already spoken of just very quickly. We're not going to go over all of it, of course, but just a little bit. Again, we've often said as throughout this series Again, marriage made simple. Uh, We talked about the fact that marriage is the very foundation of society. And it's just so important that we get this figured out. Um, You know, it's it's sad, but we're watching even in the church, uh, and I say the church, I'm talking about professing church, we're watching as as couples are are equally falling by the wayside. Um, You know, we have um, divorce rates in the world, we have divorce rates in the church, And in the right kind of churches, to be frank with you, the divorce rate isn't nearly as high as it is in the world. Don't believe that. It's not as high in a fundamental Baptist church as it is in some churches. I'm just going to be quite frank with you. It's like our teenage dropout rate is not nearly as high as it is in most new evangelical churches, not even remotely close. Uh, This idea that the uh, fundamental Baptist church is falling apart and we're losing all of our young people, that's not really true. Uh, you know, there are a number of our young people that are here. Can I be honest with you? Sadly enough, and this needs to change in our church, many of the workers that we have in our bus ministry and our Sunday schools are a byproduct of our youth groups through the years and being raising our own children. Many of you, your families raised up in the church and they're busy working in those places. We need more of you to step up so that we can fill in those ranks and continue to grow to, and reach people with the gospel. I'm not trying to put anybody down. I'm just telling you that we are seeing still a number of our young people that are remaining faithful and continuing in the battle. And so I think that's an encouraging thing. But again, they can't carry the load either completely. They need each of us as well to help them. So we got to jump in on that and get started and work very hard at that. Now, again, this foundational, uh, this marriage is a foundational, foundational element in our society. And so it's, it's essential that we get a handle on it. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. We're going to read verses 12 through 16, and then we're going to go ahead and do a very, very brief summary and then move right along. We have our baptism tonight, so I don't want to waste a lot of time. I want to get right into things. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. There we read in that particular passage, the Bible tells us, Let no man despise thy youth. Be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. The Apostle Paul, of course, is speaking to Timothy, his son in the faith. And he goes on to say, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by, uh, by prophecy, with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy prophet may appear to all. He goes on to say, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Again, he says, continue in them. When he uses that phrase, continue in them, what he's really telling Timothy is, be consistent. Be consistent. I mean, obviously, in this particular case, be an example of the believer in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity, and he continues to go on and name a couple of other issues and areas that he needs to be uh, involved in. He says, continue in them. Well, I tell you what, consistency is so important. It is invaluable in the life of a believer. It is invaluable in a marriage. Without a doubt, it is invaluable. We talked about Noah. and We noted how he was so consistent in his area of separation and standards. We addressed Micaiah, 
who was extremely a prophet, of course, and he was consistent in his message. We, we referred to David, who was consistent in his schedule, morning, noon, and night, praying. We noted Daniel, who was consistent in his character. We recognized Paul the Apostle, who was consistent in his faith. And we talked about the fact that many, many believers struggle in this area of consistency. They just struggle with it. And we have the indwelling presence of Christ. We have every opportunity to be successful and to be able to be consistent. And we have some of the best trainers and the best coaches available in the local church. And yet, it seems that we fail to be consistent in our Christian walk and Christian faith. Now, more than would like to admit it, we said, fall into this category. They are failures in consistency to some degree. They are plagued with inconsistency in their lives. And we talked about a couple of those. We said, you know, how many husbands, how many wives have been frustrated, even infuriated by the inconsistencies of their spouses? Okay, well, they changed plans midstream. And we discussed that. That's frustrating, isn't it? Uh, they fail to perform their role or their responsibilities. We said they make promises they don't keep. And we talked about the need to be consistent in those areas, and we spent some time addressing it. We said when someone is dependable, they're going to be where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be there. They'll be on time and ready to face the day with a can-do outlook. They'll keep their promises, fulfill their commitments, and perform their responsibilities. And so we touched on this idea of both parties being consistent. And we said how important that was, and we addressed it. Now, I want to continue on tonight, and I want to, it, well, it may seem as though I'm somewhat deviating from the topic, but I want to try to help people today, because I know not everybody here is married. Some people are planning on being married at some point, and I just want to talk to you, because consistency is so important. And may I say that consistency is important long before you ever arrive at marriage. It's so, so vital. And so I want to touch on a couple of topics tonight, and that'll, they'll, they'll be very uh, tied to consistency, and we'll be addressing consistency along the way. But I want to try to help you, whether you have never been married, whether you've been married before and you are looking, I don't care what your situation is. Let me just tell you right now. If you plan on having any success in a marriage, I don't care if it's your 10th marriage, you better have consistency. And we're going to talk about some things. And someone says, whoa, are you endorsing? Just knock it off. I'm just saying, let's get some things straight here. Let's figure it out, all right? Let's figure it out. Because I don't care where you're at in your life. Consistency is important to you. Okay? Now, let's pray. Father, we come to you. We need you. We thank you for all you do for us. And Father, we're asking you to speak to our hearts in this matter of consistency. Do this work. Father, help us, Lord, as we prepare, as we ready ourselves, many to be married, so many of them to enter into a relationship like this in the future. Help us, Lord, that are already married, that we would be consistent so that, Father, our marriages can be stable, sturdy, and strong. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. Now, I want to talk to you about suitability versus availability. Suitability versus availability. Now, again, I believe that we're going to talk about a key to successful marriage right now. You say, what's one of the keys to successful marriage? Here it is. Let me share this with you. Don't just look at them for who or what they are now, but ask yourself, what will they look like or be like in five to ten years from now? Well, you really need to ask that question. You really need to evaluate that in your life and in their life. I mean, when it comes to finding a spouse, we're often way too short-sighted. I mean, we see what we see. Just because someone is eligible doesn't mean that they are suitable. You get where I'm going with this? Now, you need to see them for what they will likely become rather than what they are. Listen, I know it's easy. Uh, somebody, you know, a, a young fella, he's 20 years old, and I mean, he's, he's, he's got, he's got the, the whole package, it seems. He's got biceps, and he's got triceps, and man, he looks good, and, you know, and he, he's got it all together, it seems. And man, I mean, to tell you, he's just a sharp-looking kid, and boy, it seems like he's got it going, and he's strong, and he's fast, and let me tell you something, 10, 15, 20 years from now, he may not be any of those things. 
You better figure it out right now. You better watch and look at him. You better not just look at the exterior. You better think about what's on the inside. See them again for what they'll likely become rather than what they are. Many times people say things like, you know, they're just not the man or woman I married. You know what? You're right. They're not. And the truth is you aren't what they married 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Now, I'm just telling you, sometimes we really make a big mistake because all we see is what's in front of us. We don't look any deeper. We don't go past the exterior. We don't look beyond what we see. And I'm going to tell you something. You're making a major mistake. We ought to be a better man or woman, actually, in the next 10 years. You say, why? Well, because God's begun a good work in us, and he's supposed to perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. If we submit to the Lord Jesus in our lives, then we're going to be transformed into his image. And we ought to look more like Christ, so we ought to be better, even though we may not be the specimen of, of you know, uh, molten muscle as I am right now, and some of you wish you were. But we ought to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So we're all changing. The question is, are we changing for good or are we changing for bad? And it's often a direct result of whether or not we're consistent in right and wrong. So we'd be wise to evaluate their present suitability based upon their future potential. This brings into... This brings things into proper perspective, and it'll provide you with a realistic expectation of who they are and who they will be. Someone says, well, you shouldn't judge people. All right, don't then. But when you end up in a relationship that is toxic and provides little, if any, fulfillment, then you remind yourself of your altruistic ideals. I'm going to tell you something. There is no time in this world to be more selfish than when you're dating. And I'm not talking about doing immoral things. I'm talking about looking at somebody for what they'll be. You better make sure they're exactly what God wants for you and not just what you want today. Because I promise you, in a year from now, five years from now, you'll rue the day you ever said, I do. All because they look good now. All because they're so sweet and kind to you right now. Oh, it didn't matter what they said or how they responded to their dad or their mother. It didn't matter how they responded to the authority at church or to the teacher at school. No, that's all right. A little rebellion doesn't hurt anybody. I mean, the fact is they treat me nice, preacher. That's all that really matters. You better wake up. You better see them for what they'll be five years and ten years down the line. You better start looking to see how that attitude's going to come out and how it's going to perpetuate and how it's going to manifest itself because, friend, I promise you, if they treat their daddy bad, they'll treat you bad. If he treats his mother bad, he'll treat you bad. Oh, but he loves me. It'll be different with us. Uh, Suitability versus availability. He may be available, but he ain't suitable. So maybe you don't like the term judge. I think we can all agree on the fact that we're instructed to count the cost. I think we can agree on that. That means that we have to evaluate them based upon their fruit then. See, Matthew chapter 7, verse 16 says, Ye shall know them by their fruits. Now who's that talking about? You say, well, I don't believe it has to do with Christians. Well, what's it, the lost? Why is it, a, why is it just a, 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 you know, a, a deal with the lost? It doesn't have built to the, a deal with the uh, saved? That doesn't make any sense. Do you know that really the Bible says the judgment begins in the house of God? So let's just talk about evaluating then. The truth is you'll know them by their fruits, he says. It's interesting to note what the Bible has to say about this particular subject. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 3, verse 18. In John chapter 3, verse 18, we're going to begin reading a passage that's pretty familiar. It's, off the, it's on the heels of John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the, the, but that, um, to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now watch what he goes on to say in verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, 
But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Now here it is. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Now we're talking about judging. We're talking about evaluating fruit. According to these particular scriptures, especially 20 and 21, the man who doesn't want his deeds viewed or brought to light is the man whose deeds are evil. Am I correct here? Is that what the passage is teaching us? For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. What does light do? Light, you say, well, let's put some light on the subject. It, it, it makes available things that you can see it for what it is. The light reveals things. And it's according to the scripture then, the man who doesn't want his deeds viewed or revealed or brought to light is the man whose deeds are evil. On the other hand, the one who's comfortable with his deeds being brought to light is the man whose deeds are wrought in God. You say, what do you mean? Well, here's what I mean. Don't judge me. Do you want to know who says that? It's most often stated by those who don't want their deeds brought to light because it makes them look bad in the eyes of others. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If you are seeing a guy or you like a guy or a girl, I don't care if you're, you're 20, 16, 18, or 100, and all of a sudden they start pulling that, well, you know, you, you just don't, your parents are judging me. You better start running for the hills because they're trying to hide something. trying to hide something. I don't like your, your dad. He's always judging me. He acts like I should actually have a job or something. <laughs> yeah, that might be good. Especially if you're going to take care of my daughter. That's a good thing. It's not judging. That's just looking at what it is. It's noticing the fruit. Can't even hold a job. The last thing I want you to do is tell me you're going to take care of my daughter when you can't even take care of yourself. No, he's judging me. No, it sounds to me like you got some deeds that you're trying to hide. You don't want it to be brought to light. You don't want anyone to talk about it. You don't want to look bad in front of people. My friend, it is what it is. Own it. You'd be wise to assess the fruit instead of the intentions of a person when it comes to evaluating the potential suitability of a person who you're considering for marriage. Do you get what I just said? You need to assess the fruit instead of the intentions. I don't care what someone's intentions are. Intentions don't put food on the table. Intentions don't meet needs in lives. Uh, uh, listen, don't believe it for a minute. All good intentions, and good intentions pave the pathway of hell. Well, they have tremendous potential. Do not base your decision on potential. I could go through a list on my mind right now at the top of my head of people that are throwing potential away, throwing potential away, throwing potential away. Year one, year two, year three, year four, year five. Let me tell you, you marry one of those, you'll regret the day. But they just had so much potential. No, you better look at what they are now and evaluate where they're going to be in 10 years, five years from now. I'm telling you, if a guy can't hold a job now, he will not hold a job down the road more than likely. You'll be working and providing for the family, man, and trying to take care of all the kids. And if you got a young woman in your life that doesn't want to serve her parents and doesn't want to take care of things in the home and doesn't have any desire whatsoever to be domesticated, my friend, then let me tell you something, you better run for the hills. Someone says, well, yeah, I know, but love will keep us together. Neil Sedaka found that wasn't true. I don't know, maybe he stayed married, but I just got to believe he was divorced too. Anybody know, did Neil Sedaka ever get divorced? I just thought I'd check. Don't get on your phones. I saw you grabbing them. No, I'm teasing. I, I didn't see it. You didn't think I'd know who that was, did you? It's because my mom used to listen to that song. Love. 
Love will keep us together. Remember that? Okay, so anyway, all right. You know what I'm talking about, right? Some of you know. And some of you are going, what? That's a stupid song. It was. But anyway. <laughs> so just a note of caution. Let me give you these, okay? I know I'm spending a lot of time on this, but I think this stuff's important and practical. If a man doesn't have any goals and dreams, he lacks direction. If he doesn't have drive, he lacks motivation. If he doesn't have an opinion, he lacks conviction. I know that these things sound simple, but I'm going to tell you, young ladies, you need a fella who has some direction in his life. He needs some goals and dreams. What do you plan on doing with your life? I don't know. Where do you see yourself in five years? Um, Hopefully, uh, things will be going good. Huh? What steps are you taking presently to get where you are going? Uh, I go to church. Come on, folks. You know, come on. He doesn't have any drive. He lacks motivation. If you have more motivation than the guy you're going to marry, my friend, don't marry him. If you, you have a young lady in your life that has no motivation to better herself and to be better than she is, and let me tell you something, you, you're probably wasting your time. I, I would probably move right on. If, 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 if he doesn't have any convictions in his life or opinions, he, and he, or, well, yeah, whatever you want, honey. Whatever you think's good. No, he better have some opinions. He better stand on some things. One day you're going to wish he did when your children come along and you want him to step it up. And he goes, well, honey, you know, it's up to you, whatever you want to do with him. You'd be like, preacher, my husband needs to be a man. I don't know what his problem is. He needs to make some decisions. I'm tired of making all the decisions. You should have seen that. See, you're looking, you looked past the present into the future, but you failed to see the reality of who he was. He ain't the man I married. He probably is exactly what you married, just on steroids now. So make sure biblical faith is fueling his direction, motivation, and conviction, of course. We don't put enough emphasis on the Word of God. Now, consistency, let's talk about chemistry versus consistency now. A different one. We're going to talk about chemistry now. Now, I just got done talking about suitability versus availability. But I want to talk about chemistry versus consistency now. Much of what we base our relationships on today is chemistry. You know, it, you know that I guess chemistry could be defined as the feeling of connectivity between two people. We are connected. We feel so close together. When we're together, it's so, man, sparks are flying. There's chemistry. It's amazing. You know what that's called? Flesh. That's flesh. Hey, it's normal. You ain't the first, you won't be the last. And I can guarantee you, young lady, that he'll fill sparks with another young lady too. You ain't the only one if he's giving you that line. Chemistry versus uh, consistency. We speak about sparks or fireworks at the sight of another person or this magical touch. Hallmark movies. <laughs> you know. You know, the perfect people, at least on the looks, and everything's just so, oh, oh it's so, oh. you know what I mean, it's so mushy. It's, you know, as kids, we used to go, that's disgusting, that's gross. But boys, you get a little older, boy, that, that magic. I almost thought of another song, but I won't sing it for you today. <laughs> Those, these, I'm, I tell you what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just, I'm going to the parent card. It's all their fault. You know, sadly, many have abandoned good old-fashioned common sense and practical reasoning for this short-term feeling of chemistry. We throw all common sense out the window. 
And that's a sad thing. When you can, when you can count on a person and their response, you're going to find security and safety. No fireworks, no sparks or chemistry can replace the long-term benefits of consistency. And you say, but that's boring. Success is never boring. Success is never boring. I know a lot of couples that would be happy with boring if that meant success right now. There's just no sparks. Uh, you better just be thankful he comes home with a paycheck. And you better be thankful that she's still there when you get home. Uh, I'm, I'm not, you know, listen, I'm not saying you shouldn't try to spice things up and have a good time and be a little spontaneous from time to time. I mean, talk to my wife. I am the romantic beyond the comprehension. It's amazing. I drive her out of her mind. I probably don't talk to her, though. It'll embarrass her, so don't even ask her, but take my word for it. But I'm telling you, no amount of chemistry will ever keep a marriage together if consistency is lacking. You need consistency. So let's talk about consistency. It is kin to discipline. And this is where it gets tough, right? Because, well, consistency is kin to discipline. You have to possess discipline in order to be consistent. So why is it that we see people being so inconsistent today? Because they lack discipline. That's really as simple as it is. You know, the bottom line is, is that you have to crucify the flesh over and over again in order to keep your promises and to fulfill your obligations. There's always something I'd rather do, right, in my flesh. But I have to die to self. I've got to crucify the flesh. There's others depending on me. I make commitments and I make promises or I step out by faith and I say, this is where I'll be and this is what I'll do. Let me tell you, it takes some discipline to be where you're supposed to be. We speak of this as being self-discipline. You know, there's a reason why it's called self-discipline. It's because discipline is really personal. What do you mean? Well, no one can keep you consistent. No one. You say, you know, I just need an accountability partner. Accountability partners solve all my problems. Do you realize there comes a point accountability partners don't work? There comes a point where you have to self-discipline yourself. You have to make up your mind what you're going to do, when you're going to do it. It's up to you in the end. you got to motivate yourself to that end. It's self-discipline. I have no problem with people getting together and trying to hold each other accountable and working together. But my friend, I promise you this. You're not going to build a church. You're not going to build a, a business. You're not going to build a marriage if you need someone else to keep you motivated all the time. That's all there is to it. It's self-discipline, and it's you personally being consistent, making up your mind. If you are waiting on others to help you remain motivated, faithful, and consistent, you may be waiting a long time. The truth is that it is solely up to you whether or not you're going to be that person or not. You're going to be consistent? What are some important areas of consistency then? We've already noted a few in Noah, separation, Micaiah, message, David, schedule, Daniel, character, Paul, faith. But let me give you a couple other basics, just things that I think are helpful and are absolutely necessary as believers as well as in our marriages. Number one, consistent in your walk with God. I am amazed how many Christian young people throw this one out the window. I'm amazed how many adults throw it out the window. It is amazing to me how people are faithful when they're married and then all of a sudden a spouse passes away or somebody goes by the wayside and next thing you know they're losing weight and they cease to come to church all the time and they've got a whole new lifestyle. All because they're looking for someone to spend their life with. We throw God right out the window. But it's also sad to watch some of our young people and even others who will discard biblical truth and the fact that we're not to be unequally yoked, not just with saved to saved, but also with 
like-mindedness and like-mindedness. And instead of following through with that, we discard our walk with God or we allow someone else to discard that walk. And then we wonder why, after we were married a year, they don't want to come to church anymore and I'm stuck. A widow at church. Spiritual widow. Doesn't surprise me. Well, where's that boyfriend of yours? Well, he didn't come today. Get rid of him. Gone. Well, he started coming to church. I think I got him saved. He's coming to church now. How about you back off for about six months or a year and wait to see if he'll be faithful without you? Amen. Then don't do anything till your mom and dad tell you it's okay, even if you don't want to hear what they have to say. And don't make them feel obligated to tell you it's okay. I love that when people are like, Pastor, I just wonder what you think about this. I was wondering, you know, I thought we could just do this, and I thought we could do this, and I thought this, and I thought that, and, and, you know, and I think this is a pretty good idea. What do you think? Sounds great to me. What do I say? Terrible idea. Grow up, you, you spiritual loser. And they go, pastor hates me. I'm leaving the church. Come on, my family, follow me. Putting me in a spot like that, that ain't fair. That's right. After you've got to dating somebody and after you're already in love. Pastor, you think that I should marry them? You should have never started dating them. <laughs> right? That's what I'm going to say, right? Well, you need to be honest with them. Hey, Dad, why don't you get honest first? Instead of throwing that in my corner. Mom, why don't you say something? Grandma, why don't you say something? Don't expect the preacher to fix all your mess. Well, they went to, I told them to go talk to the pastor. Well, why don't you talk to him? You give him the bad news. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just talking. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm bearing my heart. <laughs> Consistent in their walk with God. The Bible says in Micah 6, 9, The Lord's voice crieth unto the city, and the man of wisdom shall see thy name. Hear ye the rod. Oh, whoa. Wait, that's not the one I was talking about. Hey, I wrote the wrong one down. I, too bad, I don't have a clue where that one's at right now. But anyway, <laughs> let me give you a couple quotes then. Let's just, you know, who cares about the Bible? We'll get to some quotes, okay? <laughs> Smart men walked on the moon. Daring men walked on the ocean floor, but wise men walk with God. Amen. Leonard Ravenhill said that. Amen. See, the more you walk with God, the harder it is to scrape your knees. And those who walk with God always reach their destination, Henry Ford said. How you doing on that destination? We've got to walk with God. And that was such a good verse, too. I can't believe I wrote the wrong verse down. Consistent in their walk with God. Number two, another area of consistency that's important, consistent in their work ethic. This applies to everybody. I'm talking about everybody across the board. Proverbs 13, 4 says, The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Proverbs 14, 23 says, In all labor there is profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury. penury. I, I don't know about you, but it seems pretty clear to me in the word of God that laziness is not a good quality. And, and, you know, a work ethic demands a little bit of, a little bit of um, motivation, and you got to be willing to go forward, and you got to just have some self-discipline, and you got to do it when you don't feel like it. Work ethic. You get up, and you go to work, and you do what you're supposed to do. You don't complain, and you don't whine, and you don't think somebody should just hand something to you. You get up and go. You do it. If that guy's lazy or that gal's lazy, you better run for the hills. Don't think that's going to change once you marry them. Well, they love me so much, they'll change for me. <laughs> they'll change, all right. The wrong direction. It don't get better, it'll get worse. Not only consistent in their walk with God, consistent in their work ethic, but consistent in their emotions. This one is huge. I cannot even begin to tell you how important this one is. 
I mean, the Bible says in Proverbs 25, 28, he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. We know the implication here is that a city is left defenseless, it's saying, without walls. It's speaking about the person who has no rule over their spirit as being an entity that has no defense. You're defenseless. The destroyer comes in and just takes what he wants. That's pretty scary. Now listen, there is no doubt, and I don't care what the world teaches, I don't care what the world says, men and women are not the same. They're different, they're built different, they look different. Man, I'll tell you what, all you have to do is be back there. I, I tell our singles, and I, I had a series, I have a series on some things about the male and female, and I thought, just, just take them, just with your mind's eye, go back to the Garden of Eden and get a pair of binoculars and look into the garden, and I guarantee you'll be able to tell the difference between a man and a woman. And can I tell you, I don't care if it was back in the garden, I don't care if it's today, there's still a difference between the two. And God made them male and female, and they are still male and female. And there's a difference. And that doesn't mean either one is right or wrong. However, let me say this. It is sad to watch as masculinity is being wrecked and ruined in our culture. Men are being, are being demasculinized, and women are being masculinized. I guess if that's a word. It's a sad thing. But I'll tell you what, either way, emotions are important. Watch. Okay, someone says, man, every time I try to talk to this girl, she cries. You don't get nowhere with an emotional woman. You say, that's sexist. No, it isn't. It's real. You do not, listen to me. Now, please, listen to me. I'm not trying to be mean. You cannot reason with irrationality. An emotion is irrational. You, go ahead, try it sometime. Try to talk to somebody that's emotional. I guarantee if you look around the world in which we live, you try to reason with people out on the streets and around this world right now in our country, it is so emotionally packed, nobody gives a flip what you think, nobody will reason with you together, it's all emotion. I believe the way I believe and I don't want to hear anybody tell me different. You can't reason with irrationality. Emotions. Whether it's a female or a male. We look at this passage, and I use it often when I deal with men or even women that have anger issues. We talk about that emotion of anger. When a man gets embarrassed, he gets angry. When a man feels like he's been attacked, he gets angry. That's what men do. But a man that's a believer needs to learn to take control of his emotions and how to handle those feelings. Or he will be like a city without walls. He will be defenseless. He will do things, say things that ultimately wreck and ruin his life and those around him. And that is true with a woman who is emotional and does not control her emotions. She affects everybody in her home. It's important that we learn to control our emotions. If you are dating or sharing your life with somebody in the sense that you're trying to get to know them and you find them to be somewhat irrational with their emotions... You find them, they're always up and down. They're always inconsistent with their emotions. They're not consistent in any way. My friend, you better run for the hills. You got problems ahead. I don't care how much you love them. You have problems. Someone says, that's not very kind. I'm just telling you the truth. Now, you do it what you want with it, but I thank God that I, listen, I was very careful. I, I was very careful that I did not get involved with a young woman who every time something happened, I had to console her. And if anything, she was probably a little less smart than I was because I was a maniac at times. They used to call me Mark Gadara. No, I'm teasing. But anyway, some of you didn't get it yet, right? The maniac of Kadera. Okay, so anyway. You know our worst fight? You know what one of our worst fights ever was? And it really wasn't a fight because, you know, fights have to be two-sided. It was really just me. <laughs> it, was, it was the night before we got married. Oh, man. 
I hit the ceiling. You know, in those days, I, 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 was, I was pretty young and stupid. Nobody's ever been there, right? I was, I was one of those, I was so jealous of her all the time. It's because I was, guys, can anybody tell me what I was? Insecure. Insecure, that's what I was. Okay, I admit it, only for a day or two. <laughs> Ladies, when your husband is irrational, it's probably because he's insecure. When he's saying stupid stuff, and you're like, what are you thinking? I never said that. I don't think that. And how's come you say that? How's come you blame me for that? I didn't do what well, He's insecure probably. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to let the cat out of the bag, fellas. But let me tell you this. The night before we got married, my wife, she was living with her friend. She was, at that point, she was living with a friend over there. Uh, well, it doesn't matter where. Anyway, she was living with a friend. And, and I remember that her friend's sister came into town with her husband. And so her husband and her, her, his, her, her uh, roommate's friends, uh, you know, was going to stay there. And I thought, what are you talking about? That guy's going to be in the house with my wife? Tomorrow I'm marrying her, and he's in the house with my wife? I went ballistic. I went crazy. Now, this is classic Mark O'Donnell. Because then the next day, I'm like, I'm like, hey, how's everybody doing? We're getting married, amen? My wife's all nervous then. She's all nervous that day. I'm not nervous a bit. I'm like, well, we've already made up our mind. We're getting married. Let's do it. Man, the night before, I'm a nervous wreck, and I'm freaking out, and I'm losing my mind, and she's like, should I really even marry this guy? He's out of his mind. <laughs> emotions. Be careful with emotions. Just be careful, please. Consistency is important. Consistent in their behavior. 2 Timothy 3.10 says, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. The Apostle Paul very clearly was living a life where it was obvious what he did and who he was, and his consistency was clear, obvious. Their behavior ought to be consistent. Again, it kind of goes along with this element of emotion, this up and down thing, but their behavior, what they do consistently should be the same. For instance, do they read their Bible consistently? Do they go to church consistently? Do they go out soul winning consistently? Do they teach and work and do the things they do? Are they at work consistently? Or do they do their schoolwork consistently? I mean, do they finish their homework? All the things that they ought to be doing, do they obey their parents? Do they not obey their parents? Are they consistent in their behavior? Well, this week they did, but not last week. Well, last month he was better than this month. Eh. Get rid of him. Well, I want to help him. Go ahead. Toxic. Bad move. He's trying to help you now. Five years from now, you'll be going, I don't even know who he is. I don't know who she is. Listen, can I tell you don't, don't get a savior complex when it comes to who you're going to marry. Stop. Don't do it. You'll regret that. If you always got to be saving them, don't expect them to ever, ever, ever meet your needs. It'll always be about them. You've trained them such. That's how they were learned. They learned. They were taught that from their parents probably, and now you're reinforcing it in your relationship and you think that's going to change once you say, I do? Uh-uh. It won't. You better hope that they get God. You better hope they get right. Because otherwise, you're destined for a long road. Consistent in their submission. Consistent in submission. We could say a servant's heart, even. Consistent in their submission to their parents. We brought it up already in Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise. I touched on it already, and, and I know time's drawing short. We've got to close this out. I feel like we're going a little too long. I feel like we can only handle so much of this, right? <laughs> kind of like Brother Ankrum would say, well, I preach it to you enough. I don't know about that. But anyway, parents. Submission to parents. Young people, if, let me tell you, if, if you got a girlfriend or a boyfriend that is not submissive to their parents, I mean submissive. I'm not talking about when it's convenient for them. 
I'm not talking about they use them as a, a tool. When they don't want to go to a friend's house, they go, well, my parents won't let me. But then when they do want to do something, it's like, well, come on, Mom, you're kidding me. I can't believe you won't let me go. Okay, I'm talking about just submissive to the mom and dad's authority. Same with the guy, either way. If, if that's a problem, it's going to be a problem for you down the road. What's the Bible say? Submitting yourselves one to another. There's an element of mutual submission in a marriage. So if there's a lack of submission to authority in any area of their life, it will probably translate into your relationship and it's going to affect your marriage. I like him. He's a rebel. I like the bad boys. That's what all the girls said about me. <laughs> okay, maybe not. But anyway, the fact is, is that that's not going to prove to be very helpful and productive down the road. I know someone says, well, I know somebody who married them. I know, everybody's got an exception. I can also show you hundreds that regret the decision. Obedient to parents, submissive to parents, that's so important. How about their pastor? You say, well, I don't agree. I mean, pastors are one thing. You know, parents are one thing, but pastor, who cares about a pastor? Well, I don't know, maybe the Bible does. God does. In Hebrews 13, 17, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. It's talking about your spiritual leadership there. Man, you ought to be seeking my counsel if you're talking about getting into a relationship with a girl. You better seek your parents first, but you need to ask the advice of your pastor too. You know, he may know something that your parents don't even know about that person. He may not share that with you, but he may tell you, I don't think it's a good idea right now. Why not? Don't you like him? Why don't you just zip it and trust that God's looking out after you through your pastor? Listen, I promise you, I'm not one to throw people under the bus. And if there's anybody that gives people a chance, it's me. I always lean toward grace than I do anything else. But I'm going to tell you something. If you are one of the girls here and I love you, I promise you, I don't want to throw you to the wolves. Their parent, their pastor. Finally, we need to be recognize the fact that we need to be submissive to other God-given authority. Even in Romans 13, 1, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there's no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Boy, you just got to learn, submissive is so important. Submitting yourself to authority, God-given authority, a servant's heart, and then consistent in their kindness. We talked about kindness already in general. Oh, it's so important. And finally, consistent in their dealing with finances. You know, sometimes young couples get married long before they ever even realize what it takes to make a marriage work or what it takes to make a home work. Before you've ever had an apartment, before you've ever paid a bill, you're talking about getting married. <clears throat> not smart. You better realize it's not always that easy. And many people don't grow up today in a home where they're being taught how to handle money. They don't see it being taught properly. Do you realize that there are biblical perspectives concerning giving, debt, and saving, and all of those things? Man, finances are spoken of often in the Bible. You need to really be careful when it comes to finances. Now listen, ignorance is one thing, but somebody better really have a desire to learn. I'll be honest with you, as a young couple, you young people, I wouldn't even think about getting married till I, talked about, I, I went ahead and got onto that Dave Ramsey's course and learned how to get a budget. I'm telling you, you need a budget before you even think about getting married. Someone says, well, that's not very, you know, your marriage, marriage, I love them, and that's what really matters. <laughs> okay. Yeah, when you're sleeping in the streets, and you're going to mom's house, and your mother says, I won't have him, he's lazy, good for nothing. Uh, yeah, that won't be good. You better make sure you can pay your bills, or at least know how to get it done. And if they're not consistent with their finances now, if they aren't faithfully giving, you need to ask, by the way. You need to say to that guy, do you tithe? Do you give to missions? Do you get, 
And you need to ask her if she's got a job. Do you tithe? Do you give to missions? Do you give to the faith promise? What do you do? Well, I just don't like to do that. I feel like that, you know. See ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. Consistent in their dealings with finances, both biblically and just practically speaking. All right, well, those are some of the areas. I know we talk, took a lot of time doing that. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to, um, I, try to I, wanna, I do want to encourage you, and I want to help you, because I'm watching people make horrible mistakes in life. The older I get, the more examples I can go back to and see it. And it's just, um, it's sad. It's sad to watch. So there's just a few more notes. I'm not going to get into them, nor am I going to share them with you. I'll just go ahead and get to the next one next week. But again, I just want to encourage you. I, I spend time trying to figure out things that I think will be helpful and write some things that I think will be a blessing to you. But I'm telling you, marriage is, it's a wonderful thing. It's wonderful. But you have to approach it properly, and you need to approach it the way God would intend you to. It's not a bad thing. It's a great thing. But I'll tell you what, if you get into the bad marriage, it's one of the worst things you'll ever have to deal with. I do not in any way, I feel for anyone who's had to suffer through a horrible marriage. I, I have such great empathy, a s- sympathy for them. Not empathy, because I've not been through that, but sympathy. I can't imagine it. I don't know that there's any hurt, heartache, any worse other than literally just flat out losing a loved one, maybe. But even then, sometimes, I think that that is so devastating, a young couple to go through those kind of separations and divorce, so hard on the children and on the families. I don't want to see you do that. So let's take steps to work that out and to be victorious in our Christian lives as well as our marriages. Father, we come to you. We thank you for all you do. Lord, we do pray, Father, for this area of consistency. There's no doubt that, Lord, it it is an important factor. I do pray, Lord, that not only young people but adults alike, we'd understand that not just in marriage but also just in our Christian life, consistency is so vital and so important. So many times we we seem to neglect the most simple things, the basics, the fundamentals. Well, one of the most fundamental is just being consistent, being self-disciplined, so to speak. Lord, maybe we're struggling in that area of our life. Maybe we see that we can't get a handle on some things. Maybe it's our weight. Maybe it's our, our Bible reading. It's our prayer. It's, it's some area of our life, and we're struggling with it. We just can't discipline ourselves. We can't be consistent. Lord, may we just commit those things to you and trust you to help us with it. You said we're to cast our cares on you because you care for us. May we do just that. Now, Lord, help us to make a commitment to be more consistent in our Christian walk, in our life, our marriages, our behavior, our submission, and just every area that we even discussed tonight. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed.